right, we can turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So good to see everybody this morning. Beautiful, sunshiny day. I'm sure everybody's enjoying the longer days. A little more warmth and, of course, the sunshine, the prospect of flowers blooming and all that sort of stuff. Then mowing your yard, (laughs) mowing your yard, pulling weeds. Doesn't that sound great? Sweating. Anyway, and then in the middle of the summer, we're thinking, man, wintertime sounds pretty good. So, never content, are we? Well, today what I want to do, I want to deviate from 1 Corinthians for just uh, one Sunday. There's been something on my mind for a while now, and just I finally came to the conclusion that it, it may be the Spirit's prompting for me to, to take this little bit of a deviation. So, we're going to go to Romans 12. And, and take care of that, hopefully. We've been talking about the spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians. And by the way, just, just so you know, it's easy to remember where the spiritual gifts are located. Just remember the number 12, and it's Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And then there are, there's a other couple smaller passages, Ephesians 4. But um, anyway, we've, we've been in Romans, or Romans, we've been in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and we're about to finish up in chapter 14, beginning next week, to talk about the spiritual gifts, uh, particularly prophecy and tongues. But I want to just review. As you recall, God endows those he saves with spiritual abilities. Paul calls those spiritual gifts. And these are given to build the church. Chapter 12 tells us that spiritual gifts are endowed to the church by the Spirit to help build it, to build the church. Broadly, and this is all review, broadly, spiritual gifts fall in three categories. Uh, The first are signs, the second are speaking gifts, and the third are serving gifts. By far, the serving gifts are the most widely distributed a matter of fact, I would say that everybody has some form of a serving gift to some degree simply because Jesus emphasized it so much. And if it's so important to Jesus Christ, then I'm sure all of us have some form of a serving gift within us, some stronger, some uh, weaker. However, the sign gifts, I do not believe, are around anymore. The sign gifts being uh, speaking in tongues and uh, miracles and those sorts of things are no longer needed. They were used, as we learned last week, they were used before the New Testament canon was completed. When you go through the books of the New Testament, those that are written later uh, begin to have fewer and fewer references until finally the later New Testament books have no reference to the gift of tongues. It's not needed because the Bible had been written. So Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are the two main passages in the New Testament that, that speak about spiritual gifts. And I want to read Romans 12, 1 to 8. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read these together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Our Heavenly Father, I uh, have uh, prayed a lot about whether this is your will for me to preach this message. And Lord, uh, uh, I just ask that you will help me to deliver this message with love and that you, through your Holy Spirit, will take the truths contained in this passage and apply them where they need to be applied and that we'll think deeply and clearly about the implications in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. So the key word in verse number one, look at verse number one with me. The key word in verse number one is the word, therefore. Therefore connects the previous teaching with the application that we started to read about today. Therefore is connecting the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ given to the Gentiles with what follows. He, he says in chapter 11, verses 30, 31, 32, he talks about the great mercy given to the Gentiles. What a blessing it is that now we are the people of God, us Gentiles. Isn't that great? It's not contained just to Israel anymore. It's, it's uh, us as, as Gentiles. How are we to respond to this wonderful mercy? How are we to respond to this wonderful mercy called salvation showered upon us by God? Answer, by being a living sacrifice. We offer ourselves in a supreme act of worship that any believer can do as a living sacrifice. And how do you do that? How do you offer your life as a living sacrifice? How do you do it? Answer, by offering God our whole body, soul, mind, and will. That's it. Yeah, I was wondering if you caught that, right? How do do we live as a sacrifice? Literally, you give every part of your life to him first. He deserves it all, doesn't he? Because, therefore, these wonderful mercies of God, it's it's no different for you than it is for me. It's no different for you than it is for the Apostle Paul. God wants our life offered as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is, listen, the basic act of spiritual worship. One commentator said this, he said, this is our entrance into usefulness. That's where, that is where we begin to be used by God. It is worship. It is the offering of ourselves through service 
That's the divine order. And so the believer is to offer his whole life and being as an act of worship and then live out that worship through service of the body. It's interesting, he says, give yourself as a living sacrifice, and the direct application of that started in verse number three is what? Exercise your spiritual gifts. That's the act of service that we do. So if, if, let's think about this for just a minute. I've got a lot of information here that I want you to think about. If service and worship are linked together, if you tell me then that you've given yourself wholly to God and I see no effective ministry, then I don't believe what you tell me. Let me say it one more time. If, if service and worship are linked together and you tell me that you've given yourself wholly to God, but I can see no effective ministry in your life, then I don't have any right to believe what you told me. Total commitment is the only commitment that produces effective service. The two go together. Now, there are a lot of people who would want to make themselves and others believe that they made a whole life commitment to Jesus Christ. But when you look at their life, you see no fleshing out of that commitment. You don't see any ministry at all. You don't see them driven with passion to serve, but rather it seems that they're driven with passion to indulge their own needs and desires. It's complete opposite. Every one of us who've come to Jesus Christ is called to make a supreme dedication to him from which flows a life of service to him. Isn't that what Scripture says? It's exactly what Scripture says. If we say that we're dedicated, but there's no, not a life of service, our dedication is questionable. I, I had a friend in Memphis. I told you this before. When I think of something like this, I think about him. He, he would always talk. I played a lot of golf when I was younger. And he always talked a good game. And, and going to the golf course, he, hey, I played this, I had this shot, and I scored this score, and it was just amazing. And then you get there, and he, he spent his whole time in the woods. <laughs> right? Well, guess what? If you say you're dedicated, but there's not a life of service, it's just talk. If we function on the outside, but there's no dedication on the inside, our service is limited, and it accrues uh, not very much blessing to us. But people will say this. They'll say, well, you know, I'm dedicated to the Lord, but right now I'm, I'm really busy with my job. I'm busy working. I'm busy shopping. I'm busy hobbying. I'm busy recreating. I'm busy vacationing. And there is a time for all of that, is there not? There is time for that. But dedication works itself out to service. And that's the point of this passage that we just read today. Uh, dedication works out in the service. Now, service that we're talking about here, as I said, is rendered through spiritual gifts. And that's how we get to Romans chapter number 12, spiritual gifts. Now, when we look at the list of gifts in Romans 12, 
you'll notice that there's a big difference between this list and the list in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but if, if you have a good study Bible, a lot of times they'll have a chart, and it compares Romans 12 and, and 1 Corinthians 12 together. Did you notice in this list, in Romans 12, there are no sign gifts? Why? Why are there no sign gifts? Well, there, there's probably two reasons for that. Number one, there's no need to correct the Roman church as there was the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, they were misusing spiritual gifts, these sign gifts, and counterfeiting and abusing them. But that's not the issue in Romans. So he says nothing about it. For that matter, Ephesians says nothing about the sign gifts, and neither does 1 Peter. But the Romans... Uh, this letter was also written later, and there was more of the New Testament canon, and it was not needed. So in this passage, we have two categories of gifts that we just read in Romans chapter 12. There's the speaking gifts, such as prophecy and teaching and exhortation, and there are the serving gifts, such as serving, giving, leading, showing mercy. Now remember what I said last week, sign gifts cease because they have a built-in end to them. It's because they belong to a unique era and not the ongoing life of the church. And the instruction here is for the ongoing ministry of the church, and it does not include the sign gifts. And so let's just run through this list of gifts real quick. You want to do that with me? Everybody seems to like uh, the spiritual gifts list. By the way, I'm going to tell you this. I'm also not a big fan of the spiritual gift assessments because of the way people misuse them for the most part. Oh, well, I can't do that because I don't have that gift. And they, they make excuses. And I understand uh, we are all gifted in different ways. But I'm just not a big fan of them. Pretty, pretty much everybody knows what their gift is. It's just innately built into you, isn't it? Um, but uh, let's just look at them. Number one, prophecy. What is prophecy? Verse number seven says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Did you catch that? Having gifts that differ According to the grace, talking about the Holy Spirit, given to us, let us stick them on a shelf, um, pack them away in the closet. It says use them. Use them, right? If prophecy in proportion to our faith. The gift of prophecy here seems to be the ability to preach the word of God or to make it relevant to a current situation, to confront society. You look at the book of Acts, and you're going to see that at least four different times in the book of Acts, you see the gift of prophecy being used, and it's, it's the ability to apply the Word of God to the current situation, and that's what you find. The prophet spoke to a contemporary situation applying the truth of God. Sometimes it was direct revelation, and sometimes it was just restatement. And by the way, same thing is true in the Old Testament. We think of the Old Testament prophets as telling some future event. And yes, they did do that, but that was a very minor part of what they did. For the most part, they took the Old Testament law, the books of Moses, and applied them to the life of Judah and Israel. All of them. I read Obadiah, Micah, and, and uh, uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. I, I can't remember what I read this week, but I read a lot of the, old, the minor prophets, okay? And they're all doing that. They're applying God's word to the contemporary situation. And then 
God sprinkles in there a little bit of predictive prophecy as well, right? But prophecy, some people have that gift. Um, Secondly, serving. Look at verse number seven. If serving, service in our serving. You know what the word is? It's literally the Greek word for deacon. Deaconess. We had deaconesses in, in my last church and deacons as like official offices. But what does the word mean? It simply it means to serve. It's the gift of serving. Practically speaking, it was talking about waiting on tables for the most part. If you have the gift of serving, Paul says, then serve. Whatever, whatever that is, it's practical service. It would be the same thing, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 12. He, he uses the word helps. It's the same thing. Uh, it's just a serving gift. And as I said earlier, this is the most profuse gift. It, it, could be, it could come in a million ways, and it's unique to every individual. In, in that sense, we're almost all like uh, snowflakes in our uniqueness in the way that God has stitched all this together between our personalities and our backgrounds, our education, our experiences, and toss in the spiritual gift of serving and the propensity that we have to serve in different ways. And it's just extremely, extremely unique. Serving basically means to wait on the table, and it's used several times in the New Testament for that kind of action, to serve, to provide a meal. It's very, very menial, but, but uh, important service. As a matter of fact, do you remember back in the Gospels when Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she was sick in bed, and then the Bible says that, that Jesus touched her and healed her? What did she do? You remember what she immediately did? She got up started waiting on tables. That's that word, service, that Paul's using here. Same word. It's, it's a very general term. It came to be a very general term for any kind of spiritual service. And throughout the New Testament, you see that word used over and over and over again. It's very common. Remember Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, look, we need to give ourselves to, um, to studying the word and praying. So we've got to help, have some help. And you know what? It hasn't changed, has it? It hasn't changed at all. The church is dependent upon helpers. There are people called elders and, and pastors. And our primary function is to, to pray and to study the word and to teach and to lead. But, and, and, but the church has to have helpers. Every church needs helpers. And it can be any kind of serving. It can be serving dinner to somebody. It can be driving somebody somewhere. It could be taking, taking them out to dinner. It could be visiting. It could be reading scripture with somebody. It could be helping them clean their house, assisting them to paint their house, uh, doing it for the love of Christ. It could be <coughs> taking an offering. It could be helping people find a parking space. By the way, we don't take offerings here, do we? So that doesn't work here, but if you're in the Baptist church, it does. Um, here we just have the offering boxes in the back. But um, um, it could be uh, by uh, uh, folding papers, bulletins. Uh, there are two ladies faithful every Friday. Come in here at 2 o'clock every Friday to fold the bulletins and anything else needed to be folded. I love that. And I come over and I talk to them and joke with them and find out how it's going with them. Um, uh, it could be taking care of babies in the nursery. It could be writing letters. 
and many, many, many more and varied acts. It's serving any way. Jesus said, do you believe Jesus when he said, even a cup of cold water given in my name will get an eternal reward? That is how important serving is. And so serve. There's no small act of service. Every act of service done for the body of Jesus Christ is an eternal act. The gift is, is, of serving is a wonderful gift. And every person who has that gift of serving has it uniquely blended together with the way that God has made them so that their service cannot be imitated. Their service is utterly unique. And I do believe that every one of us has the gift of service. I do. I, I have a gift of, of serving. And, and when I was younger, it, uh, in the church it came out more, but because of the way that my function has changed as a pastor, I have to intentionally put that one aside many times so that I can concentrate on what I, I think my gift of teaching is. Um, and, and so we all have a gift of service. What about teaching? Look at what he says, verse 7, the one who teaches in his teaching. Now the teaching that Paul is speaking about here is teaching of the truth, okay, doctrinal truth, the conveying of um, a, a life of faith. And you can imagine how vital that would have been to the life of the early church, and it's vital today. But think about back then. During Paul's day, there were no Bible dictionaries. There wasn't even written word of God in the New Testament form, for the most part. There was only the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, many members of the congregations would not have even been able to read. And so, teachers had a vital function. And if they could, if they could read... They, they didn't have Bibles. They were very rare. You had the hand copy. They, they talk about in, in the classes I've taken and the reading I've done as far as transmission of the New Testament, to have a written copy of the Word of God, only the very wealthiest of people or organizations had enough resources to even be able to afford to have a copy of the, of the Word of God. And so they were very rare, and that, that meant that the teacher was in the position of vital importance for conveying the faith and the, the life of faith to the people of God. And so Paul says, he who teaches in his teaching. And, and the teacher ought to be cognizant of the fact that teaching gift has been given to him. And that teaching is not for his own self-satisfaction or for his own self-glorification, but rather it's there to build the body of Christ. You know what? This church is full of teachers. This church is full of people who have the gift of teaching. And so, um, am, I, am I hitting my microphone? Is it popping? Or is it just me? Okay. All right. Um, this church has so many teachers. As I'm praying about what God would have our church to do, it keeps popping into my mind that, that we ought to be helping train people for ministry and different functions like that because we have so many people who can teach the Word of God here. It's a wonderful gift. What about the next one, verse number 8? The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The word here is encourage. It has to do with encouraging and strengthening to advise or to comfort somebody. 
It could be to encourage in the sense of encouraging them out of sin and into righteousness. It could be used in the sense of comforting them in trouble. It could be in the sense of finding somebody that's weak and encouraging them to be strong and to get stronger and to put their faith and trust in Christ and to walk by faith and God will work it out. It could come in a lot of ways. It's a very broad thing, this gift of exhortation. Some people are just really great at comforting those in sorrow. There's other people that shouldn't come near people who are in sorrow. You know what I'm talking about? The ones who say, yeah, it could be worse. That's probably not the right thing to say this time, okay? Move along now. (laughs) These are the encouragers. You, you know who I'm talking about. I, I have friends that when, when life is tough, I give them a call because encouragement's right there on their lips. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift, isn't it? Exhortation. Then giving. The one who contributes in generosity. The word is really fascinating, this word giving. You know what it is? It's metadidomai. Metadidomai is an intensified form of giving. It's almost like great giving or giving giving, something like that. It means, or super give. It, it's, it means to impart your, you know what it means? It means to give people your earthly possessions. It, if you've got the gift of giving, and all of us are to give, aren't we? But if you've got the gift of giving, and some have that gift, you're to do it How? With generosity. You're to give with generosity. The word that is the root of that in the Greek means with simplicity. To give with simplicity. The ESV says generosity. It's simplicity. You know what it means? It means don't give with ulterior motives. No dichotomy of motive. No division of motive. In other words, when you give with simplicity, you give with a single purpose. You give to the glory of the Lord and for the joy of giving itself. You give for obedience to Christ and nothing else is on your mind. You're not sitting there thinking, hey, you know, maybe everybody will notice this. That's where Ananias and Sapphira had a problem, right? They were giving to get noticed. Or maybe I'll just keep back a little for myself. Now, there's no thought of, Uh, I hope everybody sees how generous I am. Can you put that plaque up there? I I don't want the plaque there. I want it over there, right? Just give with simplicity. Give for the glory of the Lord. Give even anonymously, and don't worry about it. God sees it, and that's all that matters, right? So the gift of giving. Then there's leadership. The one who leads with zeal. That word leadership is simply a word that is talking about managing, to manage, to be in charge, to oversee or to rule. This gift is, is somebody who has the ability to organize and administrate and make something happen and cover all the details. To get people together, to mobilize them, to get them moving to accomplish God, uh, goals and jobs. The term, by the way, this term is used to describe elders in First. Thessalonians uh, 3, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5. It's also used of elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. It's used of deacons in 1 Timothy 3. And so, so God gives people to lead the church in different ways. The way elders are going to mobilize people would be different than the way deacons mobilize people, right? But 
You don't have to have an office to have that gift of leadership, do you? You do not. Not at all. And so some, some people, um, and by the way, let me just say this. The basic difference between an elder and a deacon has to do with one skill set. You remember what it is? The ability to teach. The ability to instruct. They were to be skilled in teaching. Deacons were not primarily the articulators of the faith, but they were equally qualified. In many cases, led various ministries of the church. But if you have the gift of leadership, you have the gift of mobilizing people, then, then you should be using that in the church however it is. Next one is mercy. Last one. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This word mercy means pity. It means compassion. It refers to those people whose very special preoccupation is toward people in misery. The poor, the downtrodden, the imprisoned, those who really have it tough. Have you ever met the person that can go into the nursing home and see all the suffering going on in the nursing home and they come out just super joyful? Most of us go where there's a lot of suffering and you come out and you want to slit your wrists or something like that, right? Uh, not the person who has the gift of mercy. They go in, they have pity on the person, they, they, they cheerfully go in and, and have mercy, and they're not bowed down or depressed, sharing in the struggles of other people. They come out and they're cheerful. Do you know people like that? Do you know people who, who are in the jail ministry? They're, they're down at the hospital. They're out reaching out to the poor at the heat shelter or, or helping uh, feed people at the food bank, the distressed, the hurting. They're down in the streets somewhere. They're at the rescue mission. They just have passion in their hearts for those kind of people that are deprived. That's the gift of mercy. I've got an uh, acquaintance in, uh, in Memphis, and every morning he goes, he, he's got a job, but every morning he goes down the night before he collects all the, the, the baked goods that are outdated, and he takes them downtown Memphis to the homeless. Just starts handing them out. All the guys know him when he comes down there. Gives them something to eat. He loves that. Many of us wouldn't, right? We don't have that gift. And so we've got all these spiritual gifts. And they're all designed for us to build the body. But I want to circle back around to the beginning of chapter number 12. What does it say? I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. I have a question for you. Are you actively offering your life as a living sacrifice? Remember, sacrifice is shown through service, isn't it? You see, when, when COVID came on the scene, life and ministry came to a screeching halt for many people, didn't it? I tell you the truth, I, I've said this before, it was nice. Wasn't it nice just to slow down for a little bit? Oh, it was so nice. But I think people have gotten a bit too comfortable with slowing down. We're not called to live for ourselves, but we're called to live for others. We're not called to live in a protective cocoon. 
but to sacrifice for the Lord. And so some people, I think, have gotten too comfortable. They're indulging themselves as opposed to serving others. And let's be honest here. Some people are not volunteering in the church because of coronavirus. Maybe you're not volunteering in VBS or children's ministry because those kids carry germs. Let me ask you a question. Didn't God say that he numbered your days? If he numbered our days, is there any way that we can change our lifespan? Impossible. And so therefore, would you rather pass into eternity serving the Lord or pass into eternity in your own little self-protective cocoon because you're afraid of a virus? Now understand something. I'm not, I'm not talking about the 80-year-old with health complications. I'm speaking to 30, 40, and 50-somethings who really have no reason not to be out and among people. Good health. But you pulled back because of coronavirus. Over and over, Scripture teaches this. It's, it's, I, could give, I could stand up here for an hour giving you illustrations. Scripture teaches that you are absolutely invis- invincible until the day God calls you home. And you cannot change that date. I'm quite certain, by the way, that every ministry would be thrilled for you to volunteer. Every single one here at church. Greeters, ushers, nursery, Sunday school, children's ministry, VBS, sound team, music team, building and grounds, and much, much more. There are many more ways to serve the church and the Lord. And the Lord. There's meals to people, phone calls, writing cards, driving people around, many other opportunities. You know, one of the, one of the things I was most shocked about is, is we're struggling for volunteers for VBS. I think that's the first time ever. We, we've only had about a third of the normal number of people volunteer for VBS. Because of coronavirus. Our, add to that, think about this. Our culture is changing rapidly. There's a very real chance that the church will become the object of persecution very soon. And Christians know that. I don't think there's a Christian I've talked to that hasn't admitted, I think persecution's coming and it's coming fast. Now, knowing that and knowing the God of the universe, what should our response be? Well, our first reaction ought to be to pray, shouldn't it? And praying together is not a spiritual gift. Praying together is something that we do. We have moms in prayer on Wednesday mornings where you can pray Every Wednesday morning, you can come and you can intercede for schools and teachers and students. We have Wednesday evening prayer where you can pray here at the church on the first and third Wednesdays, and you can pray via Zoom on the second and fourth Wednesdays. And prayer is critically important. Have you ever noticed how much Jesus prayed? Prayer was important to Jesus Christ, and he was God. He obviously thought, a lot more about prayer than the average member of the church. I'm just going to be honest with you. We're not much praying, are we? 
probably everybody would say that we don't pray as much as we should. And so I'm just trying to encourage you, brothers, beloved, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to build the church in a way that only you can. You are unique to Providence Bible Church, and the way you build God's church is unique to you, and nobody else can do it. You, God has endowed you with a background, with mental abilities, with likes and dislikes, with, with job skills and other things that you bring to the table something only you can bring. Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't it wonderful to know that even if it's something just as small as giving somebody a ride to the grocery store, mowing somebody's yard, there, the, I, I learned last year there's there a saint in our church that mows uh, uh, somebody's yard every single week. I didn't even know about it. The person who had their yard mowed just mentioned to me how thankful they were. I'm like, wow, I had no idea this person was doing that. Doing it to serve the body. There's so many things that we can do. And you have an internal impact using your gift to build the church. And our Father who is so generous... Isn't he generous? He rewards us for all of eternity. So spend an afternoon, take somebody to the grocery store, see the reward for eternity. Spend a little bit of time visiting an elder per, elderly person, eternal reward. Spend a little time folding bulletins, eternal reward. Isn't that the way it works? And what God teaches Small things. Reach out and get involved. Reach out and pray. This is a wonderful church. And we have wonderful opportunities to serve. And you are gifted in the way only you bring to the table. I love the Lord. And I love to see the varied ways that people use their gifts in the ministry. It's astounding People, I've, I find out people doing things, and it just astounds me. And it all comes from the same Holy Spirit that's in every single one of our lives, right? Lord, I thank you for the truth of Scripture. I thank you for this passage and how it encourages us to serve one another by serving the body. Lord, uh, my, my, my concern has been that we have gotten a bit comfortable in the last year. My concern has been that we've gotten a bit fearful in the last year, standoffish from one another. And you made the church to be a warm fellowship, ministering to one another. And so I don't know how you're going to speak to hearts, but I do ask that you will. Every single one of us who are in Christ, you bought with the blood of your Son. You endowed with the Holy Spirit to serve one another. And Lord, help us to serve with great zeal and love for Christ in his name. Amen.